This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. But God, in order that the relationship would be based on love and not on law, In other words, so that mankind would love God with their choice in their heart and not because God made them. What kind of a love relationship would that be? You know, if if you're married to somebody and they're only married to you because they had to be, you know, how joyful would that be? And so God doesn't want one of those relationships. He doesn't want a legal relationship with us. He wants a loving relationship. And the only way it can be loving is if there's choice. Love requires a choice. Imagine that you're in a relationship where the other person is forced to love you. They don't choose to love you. Their love is forced. How loved do you feel by that? Probably not very loved. There is no connection in a relationship like that. And in today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that God didn't force us to love Him. He gave and gives us a choice at every turn. We have to choose to accept Him on day one, and we have to continue to choose Him each and every day. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's open up our Bibles and go to the book of Romans We left off right at the section at verse 12, uh, where my Bible has a subtitle there, Death Through Adam, Life Through Christ. And so I want to just backtrack and read uh, a couple of verses before it so we can remember where we left off, and then we'll jump into tonight's study. It's so good to see you out here tonight. Let's just uh, be refreshed in God's Word. And here in Romans 5, let me just back up and read verses 9, 10, and 11. Uh, Verse 9 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, that is the blood of Christ, who died for us on a cross, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, circle that word, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received, and here's the word again in its noun form, reconciliation. So uh, here in chapter 5, the the last word there, reconciliation, you can circle that in your Bibles as well. The book of Romans, a very doctrinal book and has a lot of doctrinal terms, and so I don't want to assume, you know, one of the challenges for me as a pastor is, you know, I don't, I don't obviously know where everybody is spiritually. Some of you are here. You don't pretend to know Christ. You're just kind of here because maybe somebody brought you here and you're curious. Others of you have been Christians for a long time. And, and so there's, and, and there's everything in between that. And so how much do you understand and how much, you know, do, are we on the same page? So I want to just be careful and go slowly. And I don't mean to patronize those of you who have been around for a long time. And, and I don't want to insult anybody, but I want to also go slow enough so we can grasp what these terms mean. And this first word here is reconciliation. 
reconciliation. Reconciliation, by definition, means the restoration of friendship and relationship after estrangement. And in a biblical context, it was gained for us with God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so we all understand the term reconciliation on a human level. We hear today about racial reconciliation. If you have been in a marriage where maybe you've been separated and you then reconcile and you come back together, there's reconciliation. Anytime you use the word reconciliation, the natural assumption in order for it to be a term that is applicable means that there's some kind of relationship that's been strained or estranged and it needs to be brought back together. So we use that term reconciliation on a, on a variety of human levels, but understand how it is in relation to God. When the Bible says that we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, the first thing that it infers is there's a strain in the relationship. We have been estranged from God, and there is the need, therefore, for there to be reconciliation, and that reconciliation comes through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul and the rest of this chapter is going to break down. Why is it we've been reconciled through Jesus? Why did we need that to begin with? And he's going to describe for us the basic condition of the human heart. I want you to read further with me, verse 12. And I want you to underline in your Bibles or highlight if you have an electronic Bible. Highlight the word sin or some form of the word sin because that's key to understanding reconciliation. So, So verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... Okay, that man is Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. All right, let me just pause there. So six times the word sin is mentioned. You're never going to understand reconciliation to God until you first understand sin. And the case that Paul is making about the human race is we're all guilty because we're all sinners. And you can thank your great, great ancestor, Adam, for that nature that you've inherited. Because when one man sinned, Adam, death came to the human race. When God originally created Adam and then after him Eve, the human race was unspoiled for a short period of time. We don't know how long because it doesn't give us a timeline, but mankind was walking in perfect relationship with God. But God, in order that the relationship would be based on love and not on law, in other words, so that mankind would love God with their choice in their heart and not because God made them. What kind of a love relationship would that be? You know, if, if, you, if you're married to somebody and they're only married to you because they had to be, you know, how joyful would that be? And so God doesn't want one of those relationships. He doesn't want a legal relationship with us. He wants a loving relationship. And the only way it can be loving is if there's choice, if you choose to love. And the only way there could be choice then is that God, when he created Adam and Eve, placed them in this beautiful garden, this beautiful oasis, and says to them, you're free to eat from any of the trees in the garden except one. There's one. There's just one. There's just one of all the trees. Don't eat from this one. It's the, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Or the Hebrew language means the dying process begins. Okay, They didn't instantly die when they ate of the fruit, but the process of dying began. 
You realize that God originally intended mankind should never die. It is the reason, by the way, when you experience death on a human level, when a loved one dies, it's excruciatingly difficult to accept the emotion of grief because we were never hardwired to have to ever experience it. God originally designed us to live forever with him. When mankind sinned against God and broke the relationship, then death entered the human race. Now we have to deal with death and dying among our loved ones and friends and around the world. And it's a very, very difficult emotion to, to process because originally we were never supposed to die. Now, when Adam sinned against God because he violated God's command, if you eat of this one tree, you're, you're going to die. The, the relationship will be severed, okay? Of all the trees, you know, it's like a kid in a candy shop. You just say, okay, you, you can, you know, look, but just don't eat anything. And then the kid goes right to that one thing they're not supposed to eat. And so there Adam is. And, and Eve with him, of course. And, and, you know, she's the one that took and ate first. But the Bible says that she turned and gave to her husband, which means he was standing right there. And he was passive in the spiritual role that God had given him. He should have intervened. He should have stepped in and said, Eve, baby, sweetheart. <laughs> We're not supposed to eat from this tree. All right. Come on. Look right here, honey. Look at me. Look here. Not at that tree. No, instead, he just, you know, he, he, he's deceived with her, and he was passive in the role that God gave him, and so sin entered the human race. And, and God calls Adam here that one man through whom death enters the human race. Now, why is it that just only Adam and Eve didn't just die? You know, why, why, did, we, why did we have to suffer for this? Well, because interestingly, the sin nature is in the seed of man. And when Adam sinned, it spoiled his spirit, and that spirit nature that is passed on through the next generation is transferred by the seed of mankind. Now, there's a whole other understanding to this that is related to Christ coming and being born of a virgin because he needs to bypass the seed of man that spoiled the human race. Thus, he came perfectly because God impregnated by his spirit the womb of Mary so that the seed would be unspoiled, okay? So just tuck that away because that's why Christ comes as a perfect sacrifice. But for the purpose of our study, recognize Adam sins, his spirit then is tainted. When it is passed on genetically through the human race, we all inherit a sin nature. And we are all sinners by nature, and we then sin because of our nature. You don't have to look any further than a little child to know that this is true. You know, you have to teach children certain things because they don't automatically know it. You know, you have to teach children language. I mean, language just doesn't happen. They learn it. They hear it. And, and whatever language is the primary language they're raised with in the home, that's what they generally end up speaking as their native tongue, okay? They learn those things. They have to learn, you know, don't, you don't cross the street. You, 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 gotta, you gotta look both ways. They learn those kind of things, Okay? Yet they have to learn manners at the dinner table. They have to learn certain things. But did they ever have to learn to lie? Did somebody teach them how to lie? Did someone teach them how to steal little kids' toys from their friends? Did anybody teach them any of that stuff? No, because that's the sin nature bubbling up. We're all sinners. Kids are just short sinners. That's the difference. We're all sinners, okay? And because we've inherited a sin nature. So we're all corrupt, we're all tainted, the human race is sinful, and as a result, estranged from God. And so Paul's saying here, look, 
Death came through one man, Adam, because all have sinned. Every single one of us. Now, sin, again, the word is used six times here. A basic working definition of sin, biblically speaking, means to miss the mark. That's what the word sin means, to miss the mark. Now, what is the mark? God is the mark. God is the standard, okay? On a target, God is the bullseye, and we never are hitting the bullseye. We're always short of it. We're always, you know, never hitting directly on target because God is the perfect standard. And there is a problem in the human race where we try to justify our sinful nature, because most people are aware of it. All right, unless you're a sociopath and you don't totally, you don't understand at all that that you got a problem, okay? Unless you have a seared conscience in that sense, a sociopath. Most per, most people who don't even know the Bible or step foot in a church will recognize that they're not perfect. That's their way of saying they're a sinner. They will say, "I'm not perfect." Why? Because God's a perfect standard. None of us measure up to it. The Bible says, back in chapter three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have missed the mark. All fall short of the perfect standard of God. Thus, we're all sinners. And so because we're all sinners, because we've all been estranged from God, we need some method, some ability to reconcile. Now, the problem becomes that a lot of people try to compensate for their imperfect lives by just trying to do a lot of good things. By just trying to compensate for their sinful lives, though they may not even refer to it like that, by trying to be a really good person, trying to do a lot of good things, trying to be really nice, really kind, you know, and doing good to all people, that kind of a motto, right? Okay, and that's the way a lot of people think that they can compensate for their sinful nature. And that's noble. It's honorable. I mean, I like it when, when people try to do good things. It's a good thing. I like it better than when people do bad things, don't you? All right? If your neighbor is a good person, you like your neighbor. When your neighbor's doing bad things, you don't like your neighbor. So it's good when people try to do good things. But being good... And doing good things by themselves will never be able to compensate for our sinful nature, ever. Because, I mean, just try it for a day. Just, just try it for a day. Just, just try to do everything just right for a day. No, no, no. Let me take it back. Try it for half a day. Try just for half a day to do and say everything just... No, I take it back. Try for an hour. <laughs> Try for an hour just to do everything. All right, anyway, you get the point. Because because we can't. As soon as you just try, I'm going to do everything just right. I'm going to do it. You you can't. You can't do it. And the Bible says if you stumble at one point of the law, you're guilty of breaking it all. Because you can't justify yourself by saying, well, out of the Ten Commandments, I only violated three. Well, good for you. But three still means you're a sinner. And so we've got a problem. Because we can't compensate for our sin nature and then we can't reconcile the relationship with God because he's perfect and we're not so what what are we to do well that's the rest of this part here because Paul then says just as sin entered the world through one man and thus all have sinned salvation came through one and that's Jesus and through him we can all be forgiven and saved that's the beauty of the rest of this so look again Verse 14, back, back at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who, had, who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. And so he's going to then make the case for Jesus. It, Adam is a pattern only in this sense. One man did something that affected everybody else. 
Okay, So he's a pattern of the one to come. That is Jesus, who is one man who did something that affected everybody else. But it was the opposite of what Adam did. Now, I want you to notice also, before we move too quickly here, that he talks about how sin was in the world even between Adam and Moses. Why does he mention that there in verse 14? Because Moses was given the law by God. Moses was given the law by God, which defined what sin was. But Paul says here, but people were still sinning before the law was given. It's just that the law gives definition to it. If there were no speed limits out on any road, which some of you would love, but if there were no speed limits on any road and you were just driving however you wanted to drive, you know, you'd be violating the law even though it wasn't posted the only reason you know you're violating the law is when it gets posted then there's then there's a line of demarcation that then defines what you're doing and thus the law enters the scene through Moses given by God but Paul's saying even before Moses people were sinning look what happened what happened to one of the kids of Adam and Eve Cain kills Abel Now, the law wasn't given through Moses until centuries later. So was Cain still guilty of breaking the law, even though there wasn't a written code? Of course he was, because murder is wrong. And so we're all guilty, pre-law, post-law, wherever you are in relation to the law, because we have a sin nature. It's just that the law gives definition to the sin. So now, verse 15, and... It begins with, and pardon the expression, I mean it only in a biblical context, it it begins with a big but. Look at verse 15, but the gift, circle the word gift, is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, how much more did God's grace, you can circle that word, And the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace... And of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's a mouthful. Let's first take a look at the second word on the list, which is grace, because he uses that word three times in that section I just read. Grace, again, is God's unearned, undeserved favor. And he says that grace comes to us. God's uh, The unearned, undeserved favor comes from God to us, because of a gift. Now, he uses the word gift five times in in that section I just read there between verses 15, 16, and 17. We'll come back back to that word. But I, I want you to notice again that he's going to contrast what Adam did with what Jesus did. Adam sins, and thus the whole human race becomes spoiled. Jesus dies, and thus the whole human race, for as many as believe and receive him by faith, can be saved. So what Adam did, Christ came to undo that we might be made righteous before God. Not of our own merit, not of our own worth, not because we've done something, not because we've earned it, not because we deserved it, not because we worked hard enough, but just because 
It's a gift from God. Now, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, so let's move on first to verse 18. I'll come back to it. Verse 18, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness, that is, Jesus dying on a cross, was justification, circle that word, that brings life for all men. Okay, so here's a third term so we can understand all the... The big terms here in Romans, justification is the legal and formal acquittal from guilt by God as judge and his pronouncement on us as righteous in his sight. I know that's a mouthful, but basically the idea of justification is is that God is judge, we are guilty, and he has acquitted us because of what Christ has done. He's acquitted us, and he's pronounced us righteous. So it's not just that he says you're acquitted, he says, I now see you as righteous, as, as godly and holy because of what my son has done when you believe in the sacrifice of my son on your behalf. And so God is judge. We're guilty as sinners. We deserve hell. We deserve condemnation. We deserve punishment. We've inherited a sin nature through Adam. You say, I don't think that's fair. Well, let me tell you what also isn't fair, that God in his infinite love for us gave his son Jesus a dying a cross for us so you don't have to be condemned, so that you don't have to go to hell, but you can be saved and rescued, sins forgiven, and go to heaven when you die. I mean, that isn't fair either, friends, but I'll take that. Praise God, right? That isn't fair. I mean, what would be fair is, is I should be condemned to death. I should be condemned to hell. But God in his love for me sent his son Jesus and his love for you sent his son Jesus. And by faith in him, we, we get to be forgiven. We get to be saved. Okay, so that's justification. Now keep reading verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many human race were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, dying on a cross, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. Now, all that means is you don't know what the sin is, what the trespass is, until it stands juxtaposed with the law. And so in that sense, sin increased, only because when there was no law, you didn't know what sin was, okay? So it's not that the law is given and then more and more sin. It's just that it exposes and defines what sin is, okay? But where sin increased, here's the good news, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This survey was done by the Barna Research Group, surveying people who identified themselves as born-again or evangelical Christians. This is not a survey of just general Americans. These are actually people who say, I'm born again, I love Jesus as my Savior, I, I see myself as an evangelical Christian. And still, these numbers are terrible. So here's the question the survey asked, can a good person earn a place in heaven? All right? Can a good person earn a place in heaven? What's the answer to that, friends? No. No. You cannot earn a place in heaven. You can't earn it. Okay? Now, they broke the survey down by church size, and the number got better the bigger the church was. I'm not sure exactly why that is, but anyway, so here are the numbers. So those who said, yeah, yeah, you can kind of earn your way to heaven, churches of, a, of a one to 100, 67% of those who said they're born-again evangelical Christians said, yes, I can earn my way to heaven. Oh,
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the Book of Romans. If you'd like to hear this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be happy to meet you. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray that you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of Romans. Keep reading on your own in this book to discover many other inspiring and motivating things. Pastor Gary will continue teaching through the book of Romans on our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know 